Welcome back to Dialogues with D. We're about to dive straight into part two of one of my favorite conversations, unpacking gender-based violence with Lupolo, a conversation that took place a few months back, but one that is still relevant because every day is a GBV day. I hope there's a few gems, a few questions for you to take with you. Um, you'll notice that the conversation seems like it ends abruptly. This is purposeful. Um, I've intentionally chosen snippets of our conversation, our, our hour-long conversation that I felt were important, snippets that allow us to reflect, um, and snippets that I felt will always be relevant regardless of the time frame where you're listening to this conversation. Please do enjoy. Yeah, I think because we're adding patriarchy to the mix, you know, that's, mm -hmm. that makes it really difficult for there to be a social cost. My, my frustration with um, calling out or try and doing cancel culture, you know, where people go on Twitter and we, 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 we name and shame. And, and, we, and you, you know, there was this whole um, wave, I think even last year, where people would go on Twitter and would hold people accountable. You've, you've, you've violated, violated me and you work at this place so that there would be uh, actual consequences. Unfortunately, okay, when that tends to happen, I've noticed that sometimes credibility is lost as well. So now, we, because you can just go on Twitter and you can tweet anything, we, there's, no sort of account, there's no accountability that moves beyond that space. We name and shame you for two minutes or a day, you're shamed, and then your life continues. There are not real consequences. At some point, people just stop believing in it. They stop believing in it. And also, there's also the layer of you crucify someone, but is it the truth? People will always find a reason not to believe it. So then it puts that also into question again. The person's not believed. They're going through that humiliation again, and it's happening on a public platform. So I'm just saying, okay, people are trying to find ways, but even these sometimes become then counterproductive because of many, many other things as well. So name and shame to me is, is the beginning of trying to figure out the language of a social cost. We're not there yet because mm. name and shame, it's like, um, you know, you'll be shamed for those two minutes and also shamed by whom? Because mm -hmm. even when you go onto those posts of people, many people won't believe her. Um, I always say my favorite patriarchal proverb, where's the evidence? You know, Yay. because people don't, where's the evidence? Patriarchal proverb, where's the evidence? Because people don't understand the nature of how this violence mm. works. It works logically, it works in many different ways. And it's an, inter there's a reason why it's called intimate partner violence. Mm. It's in an intimate space. So I think naming and shaming, we're still getting there, Dee. We're still trying to figure out what language do we uh -huh. use to make a social cost? So for me, a social cost must be shame. So you can name someone, but until we as a society agree that that person is then shamed, we're not getting anywhere. Uh -huh. I'll tell you a very personal, personal story. Someone in my close, close, close family group was accused of rape. Uh -huh. I can tell you, he was sad for about two, three days. He was dragged on Twitter. And now his uh, life is fine. Uh, his uh, life is just fine. 
In fact, every time I bring it up, every time I try to make it something, it's like, well, I've moved on. That mm-hmm. that that was my punishment. So we've got to understand what we mean. When I say there needs to be a social class, we also need to together, I don't have the answers, decide what is what do we mean by that? What do we mean by social cost? It can't just be naming and shaming and it can't just exactly. be jail, unfortunately, either. But there needs to be an intrinsic shame that comes with perpetuating violence. And so far yeah. I've seen people are shameless. Just yeah. absolutely shameless. And this is something I've experienced within my own family. So there yeah. is no shame. So then how do you make it so that there's a social cost? That's where our conversation needs to go. What does that social cost look like? What are some ideas from people who are listening, you know? Yeah, I see there's a lot of comments. I mean, people, um, there was one earlier, actually, that relates to what you, you, you're talking about now, about family and some, sometimes how family or cultural context sometimes perpetuate is, is the forms of violence as well, where people will find themselves in marriages where they, they are being abused by their partner. Um, and all that happens is a family meeting to to scold this, this, the person that's doing the abuse. And if the worst that can possibly happen is maybe you know, for those who don't know what that means, that is you pay you pay a fee to the family, um, which can be in the form of whatever, and that's it. And then and then the family encourages you to stay together. So there's you we're working against that as well, where people almost don't recognize this. It's just the thing that needs to be swept under the rug. And we keep it moving. So if, I'm, if family, family, and I want to take it beyond family, cultural context sometimes perpetuate, um, unfortunately, forms of violence. Um, another thing that also um, I saw in the comments as well is the objectifying of women as well um, is a problem as well. Because men, and this is something I've discussed with some guy friends of mine as well, where well, what did she do to get him to that point where he now has to rape her or he now has to hit her? Um, You're not being recognized as a person who's gone through a traumatic experience. You're being recognized as an object that was maybe pursued and you rejected and therefore it was a bear dragon. There's, There's always a reason why this should happen to you. And the reason is always your fault. So we, we we don't have, like you said, there's no shame. We have patriarchy that we're working against. We have cultural context that we're working against. It becomes extremely complicated. And another layer is processing it for yourself. I know a lot of people who have gone through some really horrific things and did not even, weren't able, or maybe I should say, did not have the tools to process it. I'm going to be embarrassed. Nobody's going to believe me. I'm going to go to the police. I'm going to have to go through this whole process again. Let me pretend it didn't happen. So there's a lot happening. There's a lot at play. Um, I want to touch on next EGBV in the context of um, of lockdown. There's been this assumption that, you know, since we're stuck at home, that there's been a spike in numbers. Um, is this truly the case? Or are we just seeing that it's being more, it's been reported more because of the circumstances of the pandemic? So literature that we have, um, evidence from the Asia and the Pacific um, as, as, as people working in the field, this was a spike that we expected and here's why. Firstly, you are locked in a house with your abuser. Right? Home is not a safe space for many people. Mm. It's just a safe space. 
And now because of movement restrictions, you have nowhere to run. Because of movement restrictions, things like unpaid care work has fallen a burden on women. That is a form of violence. Women are primarily taking care of the home and the children. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, as people get more and more sick, what we're going to see is that women make 70% of frontline workers are women. Mm. So they're going to be more at risk. Women are the ones who are going to tend to the sick and the elderly. They are going to be more at risk. So there's a lot of different trickle-down circumstances that are going to happen in, the, in, in, in a pandemic situation. I mean, during the Ebola crisis in um, East Africa, there was a rise in teenage pregnancies mm. because exploitation becomes rife. So pandemics become breeding grounds for gender-based violence. And the thing is, we must understand, you know, people always say there's a spike there's a rise, guys, there's a rise in reporting only. Mm. The spike is always there. This is the most underreported crime ever because of the nature of the crime. So mm. every day, I can stress this more, every day is a GBV day. The only spike we see the, is the spike in cases that are actually being reported. Or the only spike you see is a spike in something being actually named a femicide as opposed to just a normal mm. murder. But there are certain circumstances in pandemics that really fuel the fire, increased household tensions. Also mm -hmm. understand the informal sector, the economic sector hits women the most, which means they lose income, you lose income, you lose bargaining power. All of these different factors make it so that um, during pandemics or during lockdown situations, um, violence, violence increases, you know? Yeah, it's really hard. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of comments. I actually just want to shed light on a few. There's really some, some real, um, really important comments coming through here. There's one from Umanzi saying that the, the U.S. has a sexual offender list or something like that. They look into that when you're applying. Do you think that would work? Do you think that that's a tool that would be useful in South Africa? I mean, this okay. is specifically to sexual offense, but we, like if you, if you just think of EGBV in general, uh, do you think this is something that would go beyond the naming of shamey where we forget, but you are, it follows you. It's a consequence even when you leave jail. So that's always been a bit of a debate here. It's going to be conflicting sides of, 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 of human rights um, activists. So on the one hand, there's a, yes, you did this. It must stay with you forever. But on the other hand, there will be social justice reformists who work in the judicial system who will be like, but somebody has served their time. Must it mean that they mm -hmm. must never be hired again? We're trying to reform people. So I'm not saying it's not a good idea. I'm not saying I don't know yet my own personal opinion, but I'm saying there's these two schools of thoughts that are conflicting schools yeah. of thoughts. And they, they, they're feminist theories who believe in, 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 in different ones. I don't know, Dee, what, what's your instinctual one? When, when I hey. give you these two scenarios, must it stay with you, tainted with you forever, or have you served your time and can people reform? All I know is that if I had a kid, I would want to know if you'd been on a sexual offenders list or not. I'll tell you that. To, be, on, to be honest, I, I think because, I because of, the, no. because of the, the nature of the crime, because of how brutal it is, I think it should follow you. Because even the sexual offender list, it's not to say you have not been reformed. 
you've done, you've served your time, you're living in a community, you're able to get credit, you're able to get employed for those who are maybe not as freaked out about your past. But it's to inform those around you that we are living amongst a person who's not well, who's not 100%. Um, I think it's easy to have a sexual offender list when we look at sexual offense. I think it becomes a little bit more complicated when we look at e-violence, like a husband hits his wife and now that must follow him forever. I think that becomes a bit tricky to, consequences alone are tricky, I feel. So my, my, immediate, <laughs> my immediate response would be, yes, we need it, particularly in South Africa, because we just don't, we, we don't have enough people being held to account. Um, how that would work, how long you're on the list, what the consequences of this list would be, I haven't thought that far, but I think it could be quite, it could be a useful tool because we're working with, uh, with things that are, so many things that are sort of against us. Culture Nayo is perpetuating this, you know. Patriarch is perpetuating it. How do we move forward? So I would say yes. And yes, I really think it's complicated, man. I think it's a really complicated one. Manzi, Manzi, thank you for that comment. Um, <laughs> this is not an easy topic. Um, there's also another comment, a reaction rather, from ooh, ooh, Mr. Honore. Uh, shout out to you, Tonton. He says that list is primarily for child sexual offenses. In the context of GVV, the practicality okay, yeah. of it would be very difficult to do. Yeah. So child, look, pedophiles, everybody must know because that's an actual illness. And as far as we know, know it's not yeah. even treatable. So with there, I don't stand on the fence. Where I stand on the fence is that I do believe that people do reform. And if you have yeah. people as perpetual, like how long should a criminal record stay? You know, these are wider yeah. debates. But certainly when it comes to pedophiles, that's an illness. It's a psychological illness. It's very hard to treat. People don't get over it. Um, it's, I don't know of a reformed pedophile. I don't know yeah. if there's even medical research that has shown us that one is able to recover from that. So I think that should be known. But yeah, I would be Agreed. interested to see what, some of the comments that are coming through, more of them. Yeah, there's, there's another one. He, he further elaborates and he says, you get onto that list upon conviction. There are not many convictions in the GB, GBV space. I think that's crucial. It's underreported. When it is reported, how many people are actually convicted? Very few, very few. He's, he's spot on there. The conviction rates, I think last time I saw it, it was a ridiculous st statistic, like under 15%. Um, wow. So um, obviously when you're convicted and you've gone through the burden of beyond a reasonable doubt, it makes sense. But again, um, how long do you stay on that list? Do you get off the list once you've done your time? I don't want to belabor this too much. I think it's a tool mm -hmm. amongst many, but I think it's a tool that needs to be teased out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, people are upset in the <laughs> in the comments. People are saying it must stay with you. If you if we were to have a list like this, this should stay for the rest of your life. So okay. it's it's a serious thing. And there's another comment coming here from Utozama. Uh, shout out to you, good friend of mine. She's saying if we had a list, ninety percent of South African men would be on that list. Um, and I I agree. I agree. I think uh, people don't recognize it. They recognize the most gruesome act, the most violent act, but they don't recognize the small things that they do, as you mentioned in the boardroom, um, those kind of, it's not recognized. So that's, that's also something that came here. Um, there's another comment from Utami, maybe a last one for now. We often separate the abuser as a person from their actions. 
I think that often removes the ability to truly hold them accountable in whatever form. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you repeat that one for me, D? Sorry. She says we often separate the abuser as a person. So we separate the abuser um, as a person from their actions. So the action is one thing and the person is another. I think that often removes the ability to truly hold them accountable. I think that that is a very important point, and here's why. Again, to refer back to Pumla, you know, growing up, there was always this idea that an abuser is someone who is in a dark alley, a stranger with, you know, a mask on, and he's eight friends, and he's going to jump you. This, this is the idea <laughs> that we have in our head. No, no, no. An abuser is the priest. An abuser's dad, abuser's mm. uncle, mm. abuser's was the, the abuser was one of my favorite cousins. Um, I love that cousin, you know, my favorite cousin. An abuser is that sweet, soft-spoken, couldn't harm a fly yeah. husband. An abuser is everyone. The face of an abuser is a smokescreen. Hmm. It's everybody. I don't know a woman who has not been violated and in the same breath i don't think i know a man who has not violated a woman on some level so there is no dark alley there is no stranger there is just every day there is your friend your uncle your father your cousin your charismatic smart it's i mean it's ronaldo on the football field they're everywhere it's a smoke screen there is no stranger yeah. in a dark alley that is not how intimate partner violence happens yeah yeah people reject this though people reject this this they, people want to hold on to this idea that an abuser has a certain face um because the moment it's their favorite actor or their favorite football player or their father or their cousin, they just cannot believe it. And so they reject it. They, they deny that, it, they question that this even happened. The victim is then victimized all over again. So tricky. So that, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult, man. It's, it's so deep. It's so, it's so, so deep. Dee, when I say it's deep, yeah. I mean, I, I sat this cousin down, I think we spoke for four hours for me to make him realize that what he did was rape. Huh. The entire language of how he understood this thing, did not, it did not make sense to him. And it's not that he didn't understand. Let me not put it like that. Let me not get it off the hook. But for uh. him to, because I think in the gut feeling, every single perpetrator knows that that was a no and I went there anyway. But to get that, uh. that's not an excuse. That's not an excuse. That's not an excuse either. Neither is that. I don't care what she was wearing. I don't care what she was doing. I don't care what you agreed on before. I don't care if she was twerking on your face. It I don't care. You know? And it's hard. Mm. And then it's hard to, when it's the people that you know and you love and you admire, mm. we go back to the thing that I was asking all of us to think about is then what is the social cost? These mm. are people who we love and who we work with. And who we smile with, and who we laugh with, and who we drink mm. with, and who we read with, and who we cry with, and who we grow with. It's not strangers. It's intimate people. 